Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. This is Robert Chisholm from Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. And with me today is Kerry Baker, and today we're going to be talking about burn pits. First of all, I'd like to begin by saying, um, what is a burn pit? That's my first question. And what periods were the burn pits used in as best we know now? Best we know, the burn pits were used all throughout the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and some are still going on to this day in Afghanistan, at least, uh, to a more limited fashion. But certainly during the first uh, years, you know, uh, up until quite recently, they were rampant. Uh, so let me, let, me st- let me start again. Were they used during Gulf War One? Not to the extent that they've been used in Iraq and Afghanistan and not to the size. So po- mostly post 9-11 is what we're talking about. Mostly post 9-11. Okay. Right. All right. And so generally speaking, what is a burn pit? For Iraq and Afghanistan purposes, the burn pits were very large pits, open air pits where all of a base's trash uh, were burned out in the open. Uh, initially there was no sorting of any of the material. Uh, it could include anything from plastics to rubber to hazardous materials, petroleum products. If it was trash, it was burned in the burn pits. Uh, depending on the size of the base, would generally de- would generally determine the size of the burn pit. So, give me a range of the burn pit sizes from what we now know. The largest one was bur- uh, the burn pit in Balad or Joint Base Anaconda. Uh, and at its at its height, that one was more than twenty acres large. Uh, twenty acres of land where they were burning things, essentially. Right. right. In fact, at one point, it was about twenty-eight acres. Twenty-eight acres. Okay. Um, and now that doesn't mean the whole twenty-eight acres were on fire, but that the amount of uh, land the entire uh, complex took up was twenty-eight uh, acres at its height. Okay. And who was it that was sort of, I'll use the word, managing or controlling these burn pits? Who was responsible for operating them, if you will? Well, I mean, ultimately DOD was was responsible, but in a large majority of the bases, uh, contractors were used to manage them. Now, right. now we're talking about civilian contractors, not military personnel. Right. And that's... Okay. It's not at every base. For example, um, okay. like Kellogg, Brown, and Root, KBR operated a lot of the burn pits, um, but they they've stated on record that they did not operate the one at uh, Balad, for example. That that was run by the military, uh, possibly by locals. So so the contractors didn't operate every single one of them. Okay. Um, and you were saying that there were a lot of different materials that were burned or used that, you know, what they were trying to get rid of. This was essentially how they got rid of any waste, whether 
it was paper products, oil products, metal products. What else? What else went into these? Uh, rubber products, uh, petroleum products, uh, body parts, uh, ha uh, medical waste, um, plastics. It, it, anything that was trash and if, you know I've heard stories that it wouldn't have been uncommon especially in the larger burn pits to see full vehicles that were destroyed in the burn pit uh, almost full houses that have been you know bulldozed over in anything that might have been in them uh, so literally a limitless uh, number of things could have been in the burn pits. So the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about burning all these different materials is what kinds of toxins were released as a result of burning or incinerating all these different things? Uh, it would have been uh, a range of various toxins. Uh, it would have been numbers, uh, a numerous amount of hydrocarbons, uh, uh, numerous volatile organic uh, compounds, uh, numerous dioxins and furans, uh, you know that type of thing that are normally chemicals of some high concern in whether it be military or uh, civilian environmental matters. And do we know if DOD did air sampling as a result of these burn pits to see what kind of toxins were actually being released into the air? To a limited extent. Now there are some air samples that we know they took that nobody's ever seen um, so what does that mean? Nobody's ever seen. Well, I say nobody, but it, they're still classified. All right. So, so they took. There's some air samples they did take, but those remain classified as right. far as we know right now. Right. But they have released a, a good amount of them, and the problem that that we've seen with their air sampling that we know about is that they did uh, random air sampling, uh, ambient air sampling. Uh, in other words, they didn't test the uh, toxins in the smoke stream, in other words, maybe a mile away, you know, at various locations, um, at just the ambient air. Mm -hmm. So that presents a lot of problems. Now, it, it provides some evidence of what generally was in the air from the burn pits as well as what was in the air even without the burn pits. But if you're the person uh, working in the smoke stream or in the burn pits or sleeping downstream of it, it's not going to give you an anywhere close to an accurate measurement of the type of toxins and the, and the number of toxins you were exposed to. So are you saying that the people on the base that, may, that were downstream were like in the airflow, as you put it? There were people sleeping in, the, in those areas that were constantly exposed to these burn pits? Absolutely. There were, uh, depending on the direction of the smoke, uh, housing facilities, at least at Balad, housing facilities were in the line of the smoke depending on the direction of the wind. It could have been blowing directly over your, your work area. Uh, at night, when the, when, the, when the atmospheric conditions shift, the smoke would hold lower to the ground. Um, you know that, and none of that takes into account the people working in the burn pit and going to the burn pit every day. That the levels of toxins they would have been exposed to are, you know, are well nobody knows, but it, it would have been tremendous, just based on extrapolation from the ambient air samples that we do know about. Again, this is Robert Chisholm and Kerry Baker from Chisholm, Chisholm and Kilpatrick. We're at cck-law.com, and we're talking today about burn pits. Um, if you have any questions, please uh, ask your questions on Facebook, and we'll try and answer them to the best of our ability. So um, VA um, has created a 
burn pit registry, right? Correct. And so what is a registry and what's the purpose of the burn pit registry in particular? The registry is basically just an open list for people to go onto and record uh, their information in a, a, a very long list of other names, uh, people that were uh, exposed. Uh, it, the, you know, there's a lot of information you can provide in the registry uh, about your lifestyle uh, during service, after service, um, but it's got its limitations uh, as well. But what, what's the general purpose of it? Why why should a veteran do this? Well, the registry was created through an act of Congress, mm -hmm. uh, so VA has to maintain the registry. Um, you know, and I think probably the lay thought process was the more information we have on people exposed to burn pits, uh, the better we can determine the outcome of that exposure. Uh, but a registry doesn't really provide the type of epidemiological data that you know that the scientific community needs to, to make those decisions. So let's pivot a little bit to that. Um, can can we say now that certain diseases are a direct result of being exposed to the burn pit? Well, if you're asking if VA considers... Yep. Does VA consider, like for Agent Orange, certain yeah. con conditions presumptively um, a result of exposure to... Unfortunately not. There are no presumptive, uh, there are no disabilities VA considers presumptively related to the burn pits at this point. So each case, and I want to be clear about this, mm -hmm. each case has to be decided on its own unique facts. That's correct. So if a veteran is claiming that a condition is due to exposure at burn pits, they have to get a medical opinion saying whatever the disease is, is a result of that exposure. That's correct. Okay. So let's talk about, in general terms, how does VA adjudicate those claims? Well, they adjudicate them, one, just as you insinuated there, on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, and they look for generally three different things. Uh, that's the event in service, uh, and that would be the exposure. Exposure to the burn pits would be the event. Right, and a, the condition, the disability or disease that the person is claiming they have, and then a medical link between that exposure and the disease. Okay, and I'm guessing the challenge in most of these cases is first the level of exposure, and then second, um, the medical opinion. Right. All right, we have a question here. A uh, 20-year veteran deployed to Afghanistan seven times. I recently retired. I was diagnosed with asthma. Can I get my asthma service connected to burn pits? Asthma was never an issue before. So that's a good, that's a good question. Um, so no pre-existing evidence of asthma. You would need to, I'm assuming, we're going to assume you have a present diagnosis of asthma. Um, you would need to get a doctor to say that the asthma was either due to the burn pits you were exposed to or it could also potentially be due to your service in Afghanistan. That could be something. Yes. Um, and, and to go a little deeper on that particular question. Um, oh, and this is a question from Jay. Okay. Thank you, uh, Jay. You know, he, Jay, you said you're a 20-year retired, retired veteran, so you know, just kind of generally getting information from you, I would ask, well, when did you retire? Uh, how long after service did you get diagnosed with asthma? Uh, because if it began... Or were you diagnosed in service? In, or in service. Right. If it began within a year of service, uh, asthma is a, one of the conditions that can, that can be related to service just by the time frame of its diagnosis. And then you wouldn't need to show it's related to burn pits. But 
uh, if that's not the case, if you if you've been out for a number of years and then diagnosed with it, you know, seven deployments to Afghanistan is a lot. Yeah. Uh, you're definitely going to be exposed to environmental conditions there, to include the burn pits. Um, so, in short, yes, you can definitely file a claim for a condition like that. Is there a special, you know, with certain kinds of claims, like let's take Camp Lejeune claims, mm -hmm. those are adjudicated, generally speaking, at one regional office. Right. Is that also true for burn pits, or are burn pits handled across the country? They're handled by any regional office across the country. Okay. So they haven't targeted them at one regional office as of now? No, they okay. have not. All right. So um, does the VA usually grant service connection for these burn pit claims? What's, what's our experience been so far? Our experience has been that they do not grant them under most circumstances. Uh, the first time somebody files, it's usually somewhat of a fight, sometimes a hard fight, sometimes not so hard of a fight. Um, it, you know, it's, it's different in every single case uh, that, you know, that somebody files. Um, so it's, it's hard to answer that question with any specificity. All right, Jay had a follow-up question, maybe. Without giving legal advice, he says that in February, February 2018, he was diagnosed within 90 days of returning um, from his first tour in 2002. I, I would file that claim. Yep. So if you haven't filed a claim, you should definitely do that. Um, all right, so what is it that we're doing on burn pit claims, and have we been able to help veterans who have burn pit burn pit claims get them granted so one we are very familiar with the rules and regulations generally governing service connection, connection. for disability right. uh, we're very very familiar with the burn pits in general mm -hmm. uh, we're very familiar with the policy to the limited to the limited extent VA's put policy out on burn pits we are very familiar with that policy um, and we take an active approach in developing our uh, burn pit claims. So, you know, if we represent you, we want to know, uh, you know, where were you, when were you there, how close were you to burn pits, how often were you that close to burn pits. So, you know, we want to establish all of the facts that most likely your service records are not going to establish, uh, and so that so that an examining physician can kind of extrapolate. Uh, the dose of things you might have been exposed, you know, the dose level you might have been exposed to. Now, we're not ever going to get to that dose, but obviously if somebody was next to the burn pits on a daily basis, they were going to be exposed to a higher level of, of toxins than somebody that was 10 miles away and never never approached them. Right. Um, and then we look for a medical link, you know, not to get too much in detail, but we, we first we try to generally make sure VA does its job. And by VA doing its job, we're talking about getting all the service records, reviewing all the evidence, and then getting a medical opinion to see whether or not the condition that the veteran suffers from is related to service. Right. There, the, the limited policies that VA has published on the subject does require them to obtain a medical opinion. Uh, it does require them to give the examiner some bit of information as to what the burn pits were, as well as potentially other contaminants in Iraq and Afghanistan. So we want to see VA do its job in developing those cases properly. Uh, if it's denied after that, then you know we'll we'll handle it as each case dictates. 
Right, and when you say as each case dictates, many times that requires us to get a help by getting a medical opinion. That's correct. And in fact, uh, this might be a good time to talk about, uh, we have an expert that we've used in some of these cases. Her name's Dr. Cassano, and she's a veteran herself. Right. And has worked in epidemiology and dealing with both Agent Orange exposure and burn pit cases. And uh, we recently had an opportunity to uh, interview Dr. Cassano out in San Diego at a conference. And she was kind enough to uh, sit down with me for a little while. And we're going to be putting up her video on our website at cck-law.com probably Monday or Tuesday. So please check that out. Um, She has a lot of good information, not just on burn pits, um, but also on Agent Orange-related claims. So in a case where (coughs) the VA expert would say this condition isn't related, we might go get an opinion from, say, Dr. Cassano, who has a more thorough, frankly, understanding than the most compensation and pension examiners, not to um, downplay what their role is, but she has much more, uh, a much better background in this kind of Right, medical she is, science. She is an occupational health physician uh, that's worked in in this type of uh, uh, area of practice for all of her life. Yeah. So there was a recent ruling um, in a different area of law in a workers' compensation claim under something called the Defense Base Act, and it was a ruling against KBR, and KBR again stands for Kellogg Brown and Root, and. Kellogg, Brown, and Root were a private contractor, some of whom, some of whom employees were um, working on the bases as civilian military contractors, as I understand it, right? That's correct. And they were, at one point, a subsidiary of Halliburton, uh, okay. uh, but until they branched off on their own, I believe. And so, if an employee of KBR was exposed to burn pits, similar to the way a veteran might have been exposed to burn pits, their avenue for benefits is to file a claim under what's called the Defense Base Act. And the Defense Base Act is also uh, similar to the Longshore Harbor Workers' Compensation Act. And the standard there is a little bit more stringent to prove a relationship to employment versus a veteran proving relationship to service. Because the standard is more likely than not um, in the uh, workers' compensation, whereas in veterans, it's 50-50. It's at least as likely as not. So um, have you had a chance to review that decision? I have. Okay. And so can you sort of walk us through um, what happened in that case as best you understand it? Uh, well, this was a, a KBR employee that uh, that worked around the burn pits, um, that you know that did develop some severe disabilities, uh, and she filed the, her claims under the, the act that you're talking about. Um, and I don't know all the specifics of the case, but uh, you know, as I understand it, in in that area, there was part of. Uh, Part of, part of it is medical coverage, and part of it might be compensation. Right. Um, and they did agree that the uh, that the burn pits did cause her disabilities, and and have agreed, if I understand the decision correctly, to provide her medical benefits. Correct. Uh, I don't think it provided her compensation because she was still able to work okay. uh, and function. But uh, I don't want to I don't want to misspeak. Uh, 
um, you know, if I'm if I'm incorrect on that. So the bottom line was uh, this particular employee was to sh- was able to show that her disability, at least her, it was both PTSD and a lung condition, if I'm not mistaken, um, was related to her work at KBR while she was stationed, I think, in Mosul Air Force Base in Iraq. Right, and and the I, I don't believe the PTSD was related to the burn pits, but uh, you know certainly other things that her, she her lung related, but it's still yes. her work. Right. Uh, but her lung related disability, they did acknowledge, was related to the burn pits. All right, so can that have any impact on a veteran filing a claim for disability benefits with the VA? There's been a lot of questions on that. Uh, in in my opinion, it doesn't have a direct impact because it's not. A binding precedent uh, that VA must VA, consider. VA doesn't have to follow it. No. VA doesn't have to say because someone was exposed here and they were an employee of KBR that all veterans who worked at Muzzle Air Force Base is therefore also going to get benefits, right? Right. right. Um, and I think that's an important point. On the other hand, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. It's one piece to yep. probably a much larger puzzle yep. where uh, an entity other than VA yep. uh, has agreed that uh, its employee was, was harmed by the burn pits. So um, the other thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was there was a class action lawsuit um, filed. And we know a little bit about this. It was filed against KBR and some of the other private contractors. And do we know the status of that class action lawsuit at this point? Because it's really been filed on behalf of all veterans, if you will, who were exposed to these burn pits over this long period of time, both Mm -hmm. in Iraq and Afghanistan, if I understand it correctly. I don't believe that lawsuit is ongoing anymore. Okay. Um, I believe they were not able to prevail ultimately in that in that lawsuit. Um, although I, I do know that it went on for a number of years. Um, I don't know exactly how many years, but you know that was a. They were they faced a very uphill battle uh, with that going after the military's contractor with the military supporting the contractor. Um, that's a that's a hard fight to win. So um, let's talk in general about, without mentioning any specific names, some of the conditions um, that some of our clients have been able to get service-connected for burn pit exposure. There, well, there's been a number of different disabilities, uh, lots of lung disabilities. Uh, I mean, that's probably, obviously, some breathing problems, whether it be constricted bronchiolitis or some other asthma or some COPD. Uh, or unknown breathing problems, we've been able to be quite successful there because that's the highest number, right. probably. Uh, we've been successful in getting various types of cancers and or leukemias uh, service-connected, secondary to the burn pits, um, some autoimmune diseases. Right. And, and, you know, we obviously we haven't won every single case. We still no, have a number of them. Uh, we haven't ultimately lost one um, in the long run and so that's good signs there you know a lot of the a lot of them have not been decided in a final phase yet so we can't really include the gamut of disabilities that we've seen among those that we've won Um, but I don't think science can tell us the, the, the you know the overarching number of disabilities that could be attributed to these burn pits just yet. Again, this is uh, Robert Chisholm and Kerry Baker from Chisholm, Chisholm and Kilpatrick. We're talking today about the burn pits, and if you have any questions, uh, please reach out to us on Facebook, and we'll try and answer them as best we can. 
Um, sort of the last topic I wanted to cover um, on the burn pits is, and this is a little bit complicated, so let's go slowly. Okay. Um, what is the relationship, if any, between uh, sort of the the chemicals in Agent Orange that led to VA creating all these presumptive diseases and the potential chemicals in the air as a result of the burn pits. Is there a relationship there or are some of those same toxin and chemicals in both byproducts, if you will, if that's the right way to ask the question? Yes, uh, they are the same in some respects. Um, and to kind of go from the basics here, uh, what Robert is asking about are you know what were the chemicals in the herbicides used in Vietnam and you know the infamous one is Agent Orange there were others uh, that we really don't need to get into Agent Orange was contaminated with dioxin now there are no, there are numerous dioxins uh, that exist the one and there were more than one in Agent Orange but the the, the infamous one is uh, 2378TCDD or trichlora. You know what? I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But it, it, the letters well, are TCDD. TCDD. Right. Uh, and that is the most potent of all of the dioxins. And VA has listed that particular dioxin in its regulations as a herbicide agent that invokes the presumption of service connection for the diseases related to Agent Orange for Vietnam veterans. All right, so is TCDD also in a byproduct of some of the things that they were burning in the burn pits? It is. Uh, one of the uh, dioxins uh, out of the many that they detected around the burn pits was TCDD, the very same one that was in Agent Orange. Um, and you know when you're burning plastics and uh, you know things like that together, it, well, it was a combustion byproduct of the production of the herbicides in Agent Orange. It's a combustion byproduct of burning the wrong things in an open air burn pit. So the relationship is is well known, um, and you know, well, I'll just leave it at that and let you ask your next question if you have any. So. It's possible then that veterans that were exposed to burn pits are, could experience, unfortunately, or could develop disabilities similar to veterans who were exposed to Agent Orange, and that's really what we're seeing at the end of the day. It, right. Okay. And in my opinion, uh, they should be afforded the same legal presumptions uh, of service connection for the diseases that are identical to those on the list for Vietnam veterans because they were exposed to one of the identical agents that VA has already acknowledged causes those diseases. So we'll take lung cancer, for example. Right. If you're a Vietnam veteran and served in country in Vietnam, the law concedes you were exposed to Agent Orange. By doing that, the law concedes you're exposed to the things in Agent Orange, one of them being TCDD. That veteran is going to automatically get service connection for his lung cancer if he files a claim. We think the same thing should apply to burn pit victims with the same disabilities. Now, the VA law, doesn't think that yet. They do not think that yet. Uh, but the facts and the law, when put together, make a very logical conclusion that that's how the law should work. 
And now there's no, not going to be a legal presumption that a veteran was exposed to TCDD like there is in Vietnam, but it's a relatively low threshold for VA to consider somebody exposed to burn pits if right. they were in Iraq and Afghanistan. They already know that burn pits produced the TCDD dioxin that was in Agent Orange. So that veteran with the lung cancer uh, or any of the other cancers related to Vietnam service should be presumptive to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan service as well. So one of the things um, that that makes me think about is the political battle to to get these presumptive conditions for Agent right. Orange, and that process took decades, literally. Right. It, correct. Um, and we don't want that to happen for veterans of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and we're doing everything we can to push that, and they should reach out to their congressmen and senators about this issue. I, I couldn't agree more. And we, you know, for the cases that we have that fall into that category, we are making, uh, you know, very strong arguments on the link between those two and, uh, and, and demanding that those particular veterans get a presumptive service connection. Now, we, have, we don't have a final ruling on any of those yet, uh, but it's, it's ultimately a matter of time before we will. Yeah. Uh, do we have any more questions? Carrie, do you have any final comments that you wanted to offer before we uh, sign off today? Um, I would say if you, you know, were exposed to burn pits and you think you, you have a disability potentially related to them, don't wait around. File your claim with the VA. Uh, none of us know the long-term uh, resolution of the laws uh, surrounding this topic. VA could create rules down the road right. and make them retroactive. They might not. We, we, you know, it's it's hard to tell. But filing a claim now could certainly benefit you later. One, you could get granted. Two, uh, if it's not granted, uh, and they do change rules down the road, it's going to benefit you. Three, if you if you file a claim and get denied, you know, seek professional help. And appeal. And appeal. Definitely um, appeal. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. I, I you know, I but find people that really know how to litigate these burn pit cases because they're not uh, the easiest ones out there. With that, Carrie, thank you. Um, again, I wanted to say that we're going to put up the Dr. Cassano video uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, so check back at cck-law.com. This is Robert Chisholm and Carrie Baker signing off. Thank you very much. This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm & Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability claims. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.